All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Good morning. Good to see everybody today. Um, and that was some good worship, was it not? Thank you, worship team, uh, for that. Thank you so much for leading us into the presence of God. And we just um, are so happy that each and every one of you are here to worship with us today. Um, for those of you I don't know yet, my name is Roland, and I am the lead pastor here. Looking forward to getting to know you. And this week was a good week. Um, big ups to my sister for coming back into town and giving me my shirt. <laughs> That's right. I was like, I was like, all right. <laughs> I'll wear it. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> so it was a good week. So anyway, we had um, another uh, part of our week that I'll tell you about as we go through the message today. And um, what we're doing today is we are beginning a new series. And that series is actually called The Good News According to Luke. The Good News According to Luke. And so we're going to look at the biography of Jesus and actually find out what Jesus actually has to say to each and every one of us. As Pastor Cole was praying this morning, we look for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we are excited about getting this series started with you. But what we're going to do is we're going to go through the book of Luke, but we're going to leave Christmas for Christmas. We're going to start in a different place. Okay, we're going to start in a different place and we're going to start in the place where a man named John the Baptist was preparing the way for the Lord. And so today, if you have a Bible, please open with me to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, we're going to open with this focus statement today, that we have to drop the facades and embrace ongoing repentance to grow into the people Jesus intends for us to be. How many people would agree with that statement? We have to drop facades and embrace not just a one-time repentance, but ongoing repentance in our lives to actually grow into being the people that Jesus intends for us to be. And we can see this in the chapter 3 of Luke as John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus Christ. And so we're going to break the message today down into three parts. We're going to talk first about John the Baptist preparing the way. We're going to talk secondly about the question that we all need to be asking, not just once, but in an ongoing fashion in our lives. What should we do? What should we do to grow into the image and the pleasure of God? And then number three, understanding that Jesus and this good news is for the masses. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us today, and we thank you that you've given it to us that we can, in an ongoing fashion, be transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for our, your salvation that you brought through your son, but we thank you that that salvation is an ongoing working out. We're working out our salvation with fear and trembling in the light and the glory and the knowledge and the love of God. And so, God, we're praying that you would bring us to a better place today, even as we leave this place Full of worship in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so first of all, we're going to start by just reading what uh, the writer of the Gospel of Luke had to say. And again, it was the physician Luke who was a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul uh, during his uh, ministry in the book of Acts. And he was a class A historian. He was a class A historian giving an account of all that Jesus said, did, and what he accomplished amongst his people during his earthly ministry, and it provided implications for what it means to follow God today. And so we're going to start in Luke chapter 3, and we're going to notice certain things that Luke, the writer of the gospel, had to say. But the, we want to start with this idea that God calls us to himself as others give testimony of what Jesus is trying to do in our lives. 
God calls us to himself as Jesus gives testimony of what God himself is trying to do in our lives, meaning that each of and every one of us are here today not only because of the work that God himself has done in us, but also how God has heralded that message through others. How many people would agree with that? That whether it was your parents, whether it was a friend of yours, a co-worker, whether it was somebody in your life who invested the truth and the gospel of God into you, you are here today because God himself is drawing you to himself by that message through other people. And so we see this in the Gospel of Luke. It says, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance. Not an infant baptism, but a baptism of repentance. A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. This is what John was referring to during our worship set, that it went from judgment to the hope of the Lord, right? And so God's saying, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able out of these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And so when we look at this uh, account of the Gospel of Luke, we see that John the Baptist is coming as a herald of the good news of Jesus to prepare the way for him and prepare the work of God in our lives. But what we see from the outset is that, especially if you did not grow up in the church, when I was going to give my life to Jesus, I had to have a, an historic foundation for what I was giving myself to. It couldn't be just a good myth. It couldn't be just a good bedtime story. But if I was going to change my entire life for this person, Jesus, it had to be historically accurate. And what we see is that within the Gospel of Luke, he went through great lengths and went through great effort to make sure that he was naming at least five rulers, historic rulers of that time that could be historically verified outside of the Gospels themselves. He was giving corroborating evidence to say, hey, listen, this story, this account, this good news that I'm giving to you is not just a piece of morality. It is a piece of news that I'm reporting to you, not fake news, but good news, good news that I'm reporting to you that's going to transform your life if you allow this Jesus to actually work in your life as we're talking about. But what we see is that the message that he preached to prepare the way for the Lord was a message of repentance. It was ultimately a message of repentance. And not only was it a message of repentance, but he preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He said to the people, listen, the first people that I'm speaking to are people who are familiar with the ways, the commands, and the law of God. 
And I'm calling those people to repentance first, right? And so meaning that if you've grown up in church and you had the privilege of actually hearing the good news of Jesus from the time you were yay high, right? That's good news. That's good news. It's, it's not a burden. It's actually a privilege that you were given to be raised in the church. But still yet, as John is coming to the Israelites during Jesus' time, so God comes to us today and says that growing up in the church is not enough to make you right with God. You've got to have a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of your sins. He said it's not enough that you call Abraham your father. And Abraham, in that context, was the father of the faith, the father of all the patriarch of all the Israelites who gave the law of God to the people. And often, if you've grown up in the church, you're likely to say, well, my parents were good Christian people. I had my mom who was a you know, bookkeeper, my dad who was a deacon, you know, my grandparents who were elders in the church, and somehow that makes me right with God. But John the Baptist was saying, no, 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 no. Don't say that we have Abraham as our father, because I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. You need to come to God yourself. You need to repent yourself, change your mind, go in a different direction, and be transformed by the living God if God is going to actually work in your life in such a way that his kingdom can come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven through your life. But the reason that we often miss the mark, miss the mark in God working fully in our lives is because we put up facades. We put up facades. Yes, we pray that prayer of salvation. Yes, we pray to, you know, give our sins to Jesus, take it to the cross, and ask God to make us new. But then how many people know that after that time, it is a challenge not to wear masks. It is a challenge to say, you know what? I am in process. I am being sanctified. And I have a long way to go before I look in the mirror and I see Jesus. Just because Jesus is covering me in his righteousness doesn't mean that righteousness is coming out of me as God intends it to. And there's a big difference between the two. When you're saved, you're justified, meaning that God counts you innocent in his sight because of Jesus' record and not your own. But the rest of your life is God trying to work Jesus out of you so that you can look like him and bring heaven to earth as God intends. So we're going to put up some of these images. And what these images show us are some of the pictures of what we look like whenever we're trying to put on these facades. Charles Spurgeon actually said this, if you are renewed by grace and were to meet your old self, I'm sure you would be very anxious to get out of his company. If God's actually working in your life and you're being transformed by God day by day by day, you're not going to want the company of your old man or your old woman, right? Because you're going to look more like Jesus day by day. And how many people know that some of the attitudes that you have in your own home need to go in relationship with your spouse or with your kids or with your co-workers and your neighbors? How many people know that I need God's grace not just years ago but today to be different than I was yesterday? And when God's working in your life through an ongoing act of repentance, you won't look like this. Next picture. Sorry. Next picture. You won't look like this. Anybody ever feel like that before? Putting on a happy face? 
but behind the scenes just crying, saying I'm tortured in my, and tormented in my soul. And the reason why is that our generation has an obsession with image that prevents us from being humble and honest enough to allow what God wants to do in our lives to actually happen. How many people would agree with that? Putting on image, I've got to be the strong one, right? Remember in Kanto? The sister, right? I'm the strong one. I'm the thing, right? Come on now, Disney Plus. It's like, listen, she was all, and then what happened? As soon as the magic started to fade, she started to crack, right? She started to crack because she was always trying to put on a facade of who she thought she was supposed to be. The only honest one there was Bruno. The only honest one was Bruno. But what did Bruno do? Bruno went into hiding behind the wall. Oh, don't talk about Bruno. That's, <laughs> that's right. We don't talk about Bruno. Right? But the point is, right, this is what happens in all of our lives. But Jesus came to address those facades. How? Because he talked about it in Luke chapter 3. He talked about the fact that every valley shall be filled, meaning that through the help of others, like John the Baptist coming and proclaiming the word of the Lord to the Israelites, God wanted to expedite the word of the Lord in our lives, that every mountain and hill should be made low, meaning the places of pride in our lives. And ultimately, we put up facades because of pride, right? We don't want people to see who we really are. We don't want people to actually know that we're not perfect. We don't want people to know or think we're not strong and that we need any help. But God says, listen, I'm going to break down those facades. I'm going to break down the places of pride in our lives to be dealt with, humbled and brought down, whether voluntarily or involuntarily. Anybody ever had God humble them involuntarily? Okay, it will happen if we do not do it voluntarily, right? He said the crooked places shall be made, become straight, meaning that which is that which is off-center in regards to God's design for your life shall be corrected and reoriented. The rough places shall become level ways, meaning the dysfunctional areas of your life that were hard to touch and travel upon shall become healthy, productive, and functional. How many people want to be functional? And not just dysfunctional. A lot of us come from dysfunctional families and they only perpetuate the dysfunction, right? And then when anybody challenges you about anything, you just talk about the fact, well, I've always been this way. Well, this is just how we do things in our home. And the answer is, well, maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> it's destructive. It was destructive before. It's going to be destructive now, right? And God says, good news, all flesh will see the salvation of God. But God prepares the way of the Lord, the work of your Lord, the Lord in your life through the involvement of even others. I like what John Ortberg said, though, in terms of embracing that repentance. He says, low self-esteem causes me to believe that I have, to have so little worth that my response does not matter. That my response does not matter. With repentance, however, I understand that being worth so much to God is why my response is so important. Repentance is remedial work to mend our minds and our hearts, which have literally been bent by sin. And doing that in an ongoing fashion helps you to move from faith to faith, from strength to strength, and from glory to glory in your life. But the truth is, we all need help to grow. We all need help to grow. Have a little help, my friends. Right? I'll tell you why, right? 
We all need a little help from our friends. And the truth is, is that it's not shameful to need help. It is not shameful to need help. It is shameful not to ask God and his people for that help. Can everybody embrace that today? It is not shameful to need help. It's shameful not to ask God and his people for that help. Matthew 3, 5 through 6. Actually, when Jesus is, again, having his way prepared by John the Baptist, Matthew, another one of Jesus' 12 apostles, gives a different account when he says, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to John the Baptist. That's him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, Jordan, confessing their sins. And the only way that we're actually going to get the help that we need is that if we start to embrace a posture of not just repentance, but a confession that comes before that repentance. And what I'm not talking about is just going to a priest, going into a box and, you know, saying your Hail Marys. What I'm talking about is having a posture where you're humble enough to say, you know what, I know that I don't have it all together yet, and I'm looking for the areas that I can grow and change. Proactively. Proactively. And what we need is the posture of the psalmist in Psalm 139 who said to God, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. But when's the last time in your devotional you prayed a prayer like that? Saying, God, show me that which you want to touch upon and lead me out of the death into the way everlasting that you have for me. That's the posture of confession and repentance that we all need in our lives. The question, though, is, is that in this section, like John the Baptist, have you allowed not just the Holy Spirit, but others to declare to you that which might need to change? It may be your spouse. It may be your friend. It may be your community group leader or parent that God is using to point out sin to help you take responsible for shortcomings in your life and grow. But how do we respond when God uses people like John the Baptist to point those things out? Do we feel attacked, offended, and then go into hiding? Do we resist them and begin to turn the attack? I'm, I'm so guilty of that. Anybody else like me? As soon as my wife brings up something that might need a little adjustment, I'm like, well, you, <laughs> right? Anybody ever been there before? You're pointing out something to me, but I've got a laundry list for you, baby, and I've been waiting for this moment right here. <laughs> Point number one. <laughs> She's like, well, I just asked you to close the toilet seat. <laughs> right? But I'm like, well, 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 sister. There are a few things that I have grievances with about, too. You're not holy. <laughs> right? Anybody ever been there before? But confession and repentance gives us the ability to not feel accused because here's the point. Through the cross, we're free from accusation. And then we have the freedom just to grow as people are being a mirror to us in our lives. We have to drop the facades to embrace an empowering lifestyle of confession and repentance. And what that means is that you, as you're growing as in your parenting, 
as you're growing in your being a good spouse, as you're growing in trying to understand what it means to honor God in the pursuit of your career and livelihood, to perk God first and not live in idolatry, right? All of these things can be challenged and grow. We can grow in them if we allow input in our lives. But the question that we need to ask is what should we do? We need to walk with God through an ongoing lifestyle of repentance of faith by asking that fundamental question, what should we do? And in Luke chapter 3, starting at verse 10, this is how the people responded to John the Baptist as he was preaching that message. It said in verse 10, and the crowds asked him, they asked him, they actually asked John a question. See, if you can imagine, John, full of the, you know, goat's hair and eating locusts, you know, like little insects, like hang, leg hanging out of his mouth, you know. I know, a little bit gross, but it was all symbolic, you know. But, but the thing is, he's preaching this message of repentance, and then the people are cut to the heart by God. Does that sound familiar to anybody? When God actually reveals his word to you, you open his word and actually reveal it, um, read it. Has anybody ever been cut to the heart before and said, oh, man, whoops? <laughs> or has anyone ever actually listened to your family member or friend that God put in your life? How, about, how many people can hold the hand of somebody next to them right now who they know God's divinely put in your life, but you haven't told them that in a while, right? <laughs> and said, thank you for your input. We don't need to speak of this now. Shh. <laughs> the message is being preached, right? But when's the last time you asked them, like John, the, like John the Baptist listeners did, what am I supposed to do? Just like in the book of Acts, when pre Peter preached that inaugural sermon, right? For God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And it said the people were cut to the heart and asked the same question. What am I supposed to do? I see that I'm not like Jesus. I believe in him, but I don't look exactly like him. So what am I supposed to do? And the crowds asked John the Baptist this. He said, he answered them. And he said, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise, right? Being a blessing to and serving your community, not just living in selfish living, right? Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what should we do? And I love this as far as details in the scripture, right? Because if I hear a message about drunkenness, that's probably not going to apply to me. Right? Well, should it? Okay? It doesn't. Okay, <laughs> let me make it clear. Okay, in case people are like, oh, I got to look on Facebook now. <laughs> it's like, it does not apply to me, right? But it's sort of like, if I'm hearing a message about drunkenness, that might apply to some of my friends. I have plenty of friends who are alcoholics. But the thing is, it might not apply to me. So I need to be like the tax collector. Why? Well, fine, that doesn't apply to me, but I know there's something. What am I supposed to do? You see, that's what the tax collectors realize. That you might be able to remove yourself. Anybody ever done that in a sermon before? You started to think about all the people who should have been here to listen to it and thought about nobody, everybody else except yourself, right? Oh, man, if only this person were here today. And God's like, well, what about you? We need to be asking the question, what am I supposed to do? Not just what everybody else is supposed to do. God, what am I supposed to do? 
in my growth. And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. He said, stop cheating people. Soldiers also asked him, the big burly men, right? And we, what shall we do? And he said, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation. And be content with your wages. Good news as we're multiplying the number of IRS in the country. Right? He says, as the people, <laughs> just truth. <laughs> he says, in the people, as the people, were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water. But after me, but he who is mightier rather than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you, meaning immerse you, with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. What's that an image of? If you are in, agricult in an agricultural community and as a farmer, right, you are harvesting wheat, you're removing the wheat from the chaff, right? The chaff is basically the hull, the husk, right, of it. And the wheat is the stuff we eat in our cereal, right? And so all of a sudden what they would do is they would get this pronged, like, pitchfork, and they would throw it up into the air. And the wind would drive away the unusable stuff. And the wheat would fall to the ground and be collected so that it could feed the people. And that's what God does in our lives, by the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, when you are baptized in not only water, but then you ask God to immerse you in the Holy Spirit. He comes upon you in power. Power to burn up, according to his word. Burn up the chaff in our lives. Why? Because we're asking the right questions. When we sing songs like, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. It's not just to tickle our ears. We're saying, God, burn up the chaff. I lift my hand saying, once again, the chaff is thrown into the air. I surrender, God. Burn up. Blow away the chaff. Burn up what's unusable and allow your good word to be planted in me that I might look like you. It's an ongoing work. Think about it. How often do you eat cereal? Maybe never if you're paleo, but how often do you at least eat? Every day, right? So how often is God trying to work in your life to throw up the chaff, blow it away, and burn away that which is unusable that you might reflect Christ? The answer is daily. As we bear fruit in keeping with repentance. But the key to repentance is not just what we're convicted of, but what we do with what we're convicted of. What we do with what we're convicted of. What we do with that which is pointed out to us. Has anybody ever been like a wall or been accused of being somebody like there's, I feel like I'm speaking to a brick wall. Anybody ever been accused of that? I feel like you don't have ears to hear me. Right? I'm trying to make an appeal to you, but I don't feel like you have ears. Well, it's because God says you could be around the things of God all your life, but not be blessed because you're not putting it into practice. Right? 
Jesus said, blessed are those who not only hear my word, but put it into practice. And C.S. Lewis, if, you've ever, if you're going to read one of his books, I would suggest two to you. At least one is mere Christianity, and the second is screw tape letters. Screw tape letters, where he comes and he's offering an insight in how the enemy tries to work in our lives. I'm like, C.S. Lewis, you spent a long time thinking about this. You know what I mean? But what he did is he just wrote down the deceptions of the enemy turning us away from an authentic and genuine repentance. And what we see is that he was talking in, in the, the, the first person of a demon who was trying to turn the people of God away from the will of God. And he said this in the screw tape letters. As long as a man or a woman does not convert it, meaning that which was pointed out by God into action, it does not matter how much he thinks about his new repentance. And repentance, remember, is changing your mind and going in a different direction. Coming out of agreement with that which was opposed to God and coming into agreement with what God says is good for your marriage or what's good for your child rearing or good for your finances or good for your health or good for your life, right? And he says as long as somebody is only thinking about this new repentance, they can wallow in it, right? Anybody ever been there before? You knew things were being brought up again and again, but you were like, yeah, I'm going to get to that. And then, oh my goodness, this was written decades ago, but how, how this speaks to us today. He says, do what? Not only wallow in it, but write a book about it. So we have a, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with blogging, but like I'm like, some people just don't have anything to say, but they feel that everybody needs to read about it. You know what I'm talking about. You're like, what did, what did they just, why did, I lost a part of my life right there. <laughs> right? He says, write a book about it. That is often an excellent way of sterilizing the seeds which the Heavenly Father plants in the human soul. Do anything but act. No amount of piety in his imagination and affections will harm the cause of evil talking about the will of God, because remember, there's a demon talking, if it is kept out of his will, which is what you do. The more often he feels or she feels without acting, the less he or she will ever be able to act. And in the long run, the less he will be able to feel. What it is, is God's calling us not just to be hearers, but doers. When I'm asking the question, what am I supposed to do? He didn't just say, what am I supposed to think? He said, what am I supposed to do? That's why if I've been bound in something, a particular area of sin, he says, if your hand causes you to sin, do something about it. Cut it off. If your eyes cause you to sin, gouge them out. It's better that you enter eternal life maimed, Jesus said, than to have your whole body thrown into hell. That's what Jesus said. Meek and mild Jesus. Anybody ever read that and go, what? What? That's what Jesus said, though. And of course, he's not trying to have a bunch of like half-socketed people walking around. But he's talking about cutting off the things that lead to the sin, Right? Some of you need to decide to put a cutoff time in when you go on the computer at night. Cut it off. 
Some of you need to put boundaries around the way that you interact with the opposite sex. Some of us need to very specifically, very specifically have accountability in our lives. So that somebody's asking us a question, how are you doing in this area? So that you can cut it off. Right? Okay, freedom, 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 freedom. That's <laughs> what Jesus is trying to lead us to. And ultimately, it's Jesus for the masses. Last part. What we see is that God brings us into family. That's ultimately what he does. God, how does God work? God brings us into family to see Christ and his kingdom purposes formed in us. He brings us into family. Isn't that good news? I love being around family because they know all my mess. Isn't that the truth? You can't hide from it. They're like, and even if you, anybody ever been gotten better at something before, but then your family still want, but I remember when. <laughs> and you're like, shut up, man. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Because it's family, right? But how many people know this is the type of family that God wants to bring you into in his church? The same type of openness, the same type of vulnerability, the same type of ability to ask the right questions that God might do his work in you. And we see this here. Luke 8, um, 3, verse 18, he says, So with many other exhortations, he, meaning John the Baptist, preached the good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Right? Don't be like Herod. That's the point. <laughs> number one, don't have your brother's wife. But number two, when somebody challenges you on something, don't try to get rid of them. Anybody ever been guilty of that before? I'm tired of being challenged by you. And so I'm going to go ghost. You'll never see me. <laughs> right? I was never here. <laughs> That's what Herod did. He said, don't be like that. Now, when all the people were baptized, when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And that's what we all want to hear, right? Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph. And then I'm not going to go into all of this, you can read it later, but then it goes into the genealogy of Jesus. Now, it was significant when the gospel writer Matthew was writing because if the Messiah was going to be recognized, he had to come from a certain line, right? He had to come from the Davidic line. <laughs> he had to come from the Abrahamic line, right? He had to come through a certain lineage that was being historically tracked. So Matthew, writing to the Jewish people, tracked that lineage. Luke, on the other hand, is writing to a Gentile audience. So he doesn't just have the genealogy go back to Abraham. He has to go all the way back to Adam and God, saying this gospel and this good news is for all humanity. And the work that God did in the Israelites, he can do in you now through Jesus Christ, his son. And the point is, is that the genealogy shows us that even the Christ was brought about through family lines. Do you see this? The salvation of God. See, he could have shown up whenever he wanted to, but he chose to be born of a virgin, born through a family line, meaning that God was working over the course of history to bring about his kingdom purposes through this Christ. 
And in our generation today, why do we think it's going to be any different? That God would bring about his purposes only through me acting like a solo agent or an independent agent with the gospel, right? I think that God is going to bring about his kingdom will without me interacting with his people. That's how people live, even though they don't say it off of their mouths. And God's saying that's not true. Just how he brought the Christ through this family line so he'll bring his kingdom purposes as you interact with the head, with his body, the church. And so if you've been on the periphery, it's also a call for you to come in today and allow there to be enough vulnerability, enough transparency, enough relationship. Everybody say that with me, relationship. Enough relationship that God can bring about the Christ purposes through you. Because in that context, you're given the opportunity and the platform to say, not only God, I love you, but God, what should I do? And when I don't see it, I'm able to talk to somebody, some other flesh and blood, and actually say, you know what? I've got blind spots, and I need you to help me. What should I do to grow? Because if you're stagnant today, that is not the will of God for you. God's desire is that you would grow. Everybody believe that? God's desire is that you would grow. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, but you do it in the community that he's given you. Be open, vulnerable, honest enough to receive input, and you'll do so in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today, and we thank you that you've given it to us, that we might not only know Jesus, but that we might continue to grow into the image of God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. God, we pray that you would help us today to embrace your whole word, your whole counsel, not just part of it, but the whole, for our good. That, God, we would remember this exhortation that it's not shameful to need help. It's shameful not to ask you or your people for that help. And, God, may we be open and honest enough to not only come to the cross, but also to receive the input that you give us by your word, by the Holy Spirit, and by those you've appointed in our lives to help us become more pleasing to you. God, we thank you for all of this today in Jesus' name. And as always, we just want to make sure that there's everybody in here has actually made that first step of repentance and faith before God. And if there's anyone in here who basically says, you know what, I've never, I, I, I even remember taking that bath at the church when I was a kid. My mom forced me to do it. My grandma forced me to do it. But I didn't know what I was doing. And I've never submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. I've never allowed him to be the shot caller in my life. I've never allowed him to be in charge fully and completely in my life. And I need to turn to him today in repentance and faith. Going, preparing my heart for a baptism of repentance. I need to get right with Jesus today. If that's you and you know you need to repent of your rebellion and come to God, serving him as Lord, I want you to raise your hand. I would like to pray for you. We'd just like to give everybody an opportunity. Is there anyone at all who says, God, this is my moment with you. I need to turn that I might not receive the unquenchable fire. Okay, anyone else? 
Well, Father, I do just pray for those who receive the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that you would help them to not only come to the cross, but be made new in you. That as we started out at the beginning of this service, talking about the fact that when we're in Christ, we're a new creation. God, we pray that you would make them new today from the inside out and help them live it for the rest of their days. In Jesus' name. And I say grace, grace to everybody else. Grace, grace to everybody else. We proclaim your abundant grace over everyone else. No matter where we started, how we came in today, God, may we walk in the a grace of God, which is abounding to us. Wipe away every vestige of condemnation. Wipe away every vestige of shame. And help us to live as your free, holy, and happy people. In Jesus' name, amen.